Okay, before we embark on episode seven of Evil of the Daleks, I'd just like to emphasise that there's a website I talk about throughout this commentary uh, mentioning the good work done on it by Gavin Rymill. Uh, Gavin has asked me to point out, quite rightly, uh, that although he did a lot of work on it, the site was set up and much of the work, including some mentioned in these episode commentaries that I've done, was done by John Green. So apologies to John. I ramble off the top of my head rather than research these commentaries, so it leads to the odd oversight of this nature. And I'm more than happy to set the record straight and to point you in the direction of John Green and Gavin Rymel's website, which is called Dalek 6388 and can be found at dalek6388.co.uk. Welcome to Happy Times and Places, a Doctor Who episode commentary podcast with me, Toby Haydock, and my special guest, Simon Guerrier. Welcome, everybody. It's uh, been seven episodes for you. It's been one long night for me. I've done it all in a night. I wasn't sure I planned to, but it does give it a feeling of it being uh, an epic I watched a big old movie, but of course, I could have watched it over the course of two months, like it was intended to be done. Anyway, before we reach the final end, we've got the final 25 minutes of Evil of the Daleks, episode 7. Press play now. Yeah, absolutely. Slick as you like. <laughs> I mean, I could cheat. There's no point. <laughs> um, right. Well, this feels like... It does feel like the end of an epic. And, it's, of course, it's the end of the season as well. So Doctor Who is really building up. Uh, you know, the first season ended with the Reign of Terror, didn't it? I suppose... First block ended with Dalek Invasion of Earth, so that was a bit of a bang. But, uh. So, yes, the Dar. the TARDIS. It's such an extraordinary prop, that. that Emperor. And thanks to Tony Cornell, who was the technician who took all that uh, stuff at Ealing, also did. did some of the filming. that did the. did the. the. the, the the city filming Fury from the Deep as well. That means we've got got some behind the scenes footage of that as well. How glorious that we have that. It's a thing of majesty, that Emperor Dalek. Hats off to Chris Thompson. Um who yeah, who'd been a design assistant because you can see in that early years book his name's on the the the, the design sheets. He was the draftsman on some of the, the Raymond Cusick stuff. But this is his only Doctor Who, but what a one to do. Jamie, Jamie has got Kennedy's jumper. What's that all about? <laughs> How bizarre. <laughs> I suppose it's a Jacobite thing to do to go around plundering corpses. <laughs> Is that what he did? And I don't mean just Jacobites. I mean people in times of, you know, those sorts of battles, didn't they? After the battle was done, people you'd go around... You know, get, getting things off dead bodies. 
Jamie really means business. Uh, there were, yes, yeah, so of course, we're at the, the dawn of a classic TARDIS crew of the Doctor, Jamie, and Victoria. There's a lot of, from these telesnaps, there are a lot of high angle shots which, uh, which do add a certain. You know, great visual. I mean, I, I mean, I, I do trust Derek Martinus. All of his Doctor Who stuff looks really good. I did meet him once at a, con a convention, but only, you know, I got him to sign a book. Uh, he was, uh, he was, the, we did try to get him involved in the DVDs. He was still alive when we were doing many of them, uh, but he was too poorly, sadly. Um now, of course, in the great scheme of things, it's just sad that somebody was poorly in old age. Not that we didn't get, you know, didn't get their memories of Doctor Who. Uh, but he's a, he's a yeah, very good director. He's he's great. The Doctor, the second, I do love the second Doctor. I I would say that Troughton is probably probably my favourite Doctor. I just think it's such a an interesting characterization that's quite unlike anything else. I don't know anybody like the second Doctor, and yet I totally believe in him. And yet, I don't know how you arrive at that characterization. Uh, and it, you know, it's, gen, it's genuine eccentricity. It's never forced. But also, I think it's because of his skill with comedy is equaled by his skill with drama. He is, he is a man of great gravitas and he projects a sort of searing, busy intelligence and also a sort of absent-minded, childlike. It's the fact that he's a sort of innocent and yet he's, a, he's quite dark. Uh, I'm annoyed I talked over the bit earlier in, in one of the earlier episodes where he, I've mentioned it before, where he... Uh, he sort of acknowledges to Waterfield that yeah, I might, I might end a race. Oh, you know. He know he knows the gravitas of what he's doing. Credit to Dudley Simpson too. The score knows that this is big stuff. Uh, and there's an echo, isn't there? There's, I mean, it's not just the Emperor's voice, but it's the. It's it's the sense of it's the sense of scale within the, the must be the set I guess. Um, and seeing the Daleks, I just must have, as as to be a seven year old in, I mean, I know I know I shouldn't covet. I remember, it's a terrible. I remember when the actor Gary Holton from, Fuida's Own Pet died very young during the filming of a series and it was it was headline news and I remember working out that because it said how old he was I worked out when he was born and I worked out that he would have been old enough to see most of the Doctor Who's that I wasn't born to see and I even though I, I was sad that he died I was sort of envious of him that he'd been born at a time which meant that he could see all of these classics that I would never see <laughs> I mean Doctor Who was my life Doctor Who was what I thought about all of the time I, I, I wonder if it still is. What am I doing now? 
It's three o'clock in the morning. I should be in bed. I've I've got a dog. I've got a lovely partner. I've got I've got so much to do around the house. I've got some. I've got to earn a living, but I I feel the need to connect and to reinvigorate my connection with Doc Two. And I've never done this before. I've I've watched them all in order. Written a book about watching them all in order. I I I worry about Maxtable's transformation at this point. He's Marius Goring has already um, had a fairly healthy portion of the scenery, and um, and that's before he goes through the Dalek Dalek Arch. Uh, uh, and if he had mad eyes before, he's got mad Dalek here eyes afterwards um the music's loving it though isn't it it's really chilling music and 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 actually that reveal of him with his scary dalek face done properly i i i i think might might well have but could have could have been really unsettling it could also have been slightly comical as is it Spinal Tap says, there's a fine line between clever and stupid. Um, and I think I worry that he does that. I don't know why I get that impression. I, I just worry that when he's a Dalek, he does that. But I'm sure he doesn't. I might have just made that up. I just, I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> I love this Emperor. And the, and the, and the, sort of hose things hanging off the ceiling that give it a sort of sprawling it's like it's a it's got its own sort of spider's web into the very fabric of the building yeah he's a he's a dalek like maxtable yeah uh, this uh, dudley simpson is 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 doing great work here again somebody mark Ayres was doing this he'd be able to describe what this what this music was but would he know which three musketeers gary watson was in no um yeah 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 that's um that's that's quite arch isn't it he's He's been through a Dalek arch, so now he's an arch Dalek. I, I suppose it's, 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 that's perfectly acceptable. It's quite, it's actually quite spooky though. I'm, I'm worrying about the comical because I worry because I'm a Doctor Who fan. But actually, this, this could be really, because it's quite dehumanising, isn't it? He's dehumanised. He's Dalekized. He's got the Dalek factor. Uh, which, you know, and that's and that's the thing about the Daleks, isn't it? It's the, it's that they take away our, 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 our humanity, our, our, our subtlety. Um, this is what interests me when, when, when we look at some of the arguments that people have about Doctor Who and, and like, like, you know, whether it was politically correct i hate that phrase but for want of a better one uh, in the past and 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 how we we can loftily judge it 
through the prism of today. Uh, and I and I certainly think it's 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 worth being aware of uh, the things that make us uncomfortable as a modern viewer. But um, but but then when I then when anyone tries to sort of introduce the other side of that argument or to add some nuance to it, there's some very people who believe they're very good people who who get get very cross because they're on the side of righteousness and you if you but of course the dark the Daleks teach us is that the ones you have got to worry about are the ones that are convinced they're right. I hope I'm right. I'm a liberal kind of guy, um, but I, I acknowledge that liberalism has inherent contradictions within it. Uh, and today's liberalism uh, uh, can be wielded quite illiberally. Um, and, and as I say, some of the people that, that, that think they're the best of us are so convinced of their own righteousness that they're actually closer to the Daleks because they, they know they're right. I just hope I am. Especially about the Dalek Emperor being on film and not in the studio because I don't like being... <laughs> but I'm I'm always... Pro I think it's, it's healthy to always... I've always assumed I'm wrong. And you're not disappointed when somebody goes, I think you'll find... <laughs> But of course, the viewer here is, uh, you know, feels that they're, they're part of an epic. So that the, the idea that the Doctor, you know, might have been Dalekized, that's about as bad as it gets. Of course, it's a story of deceit and manipulation and the Doctor is lying again. Uh, I hadn't quite realised that. I haven't, I've not thought of it in this way at all until now. That's the beauty about revisiting Doctor over and over again. There's always something new to see or to imagine or to ponder on. This this is a story of a series of manipulations, uh, which I think is really interesting. It's 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 much more of a sort of game of chess in a way, although it's a sort of game of chess where you just lie to each other. Did you just move pawn to queen four? No, I moved rook to the... Did you? Yeah. Um, And of course, the Doctor has to ask Jamie to trust him, and Jamie's lost his trust in the Doctor twice already. So that's brilliant, and I hadn't realised that either. So that's that's sort of the ultimate test of their friendship: is that after all they've been through, uh, the Doctor's now saying, "Go through this arch that's 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 uh, turned Maxtable into a, an eccentric performance." And of course, poor old wretched Waterfield. Uh, he's got his daughter back, um, but of course, we knew, you know Vic, Vic, we always knew of Victoria when you know introduced her as a companion. She was the orphan Victoria, so he was always doomed. Uh, and, and yeah, of course, the, yeah, a Dalek question a thing? No, there's no questioning. Well, that's just a. That's, and the, and we've got the uh, we've got the sound effect the dum dum boom 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 Dalek control room sound effect. I love the fact again it's Doctor Who, even a sound effect because they've used that sound effect in in modern Doctor Who, haven't they? The cloister bell, you know, so something as simple as a sound effect using the same sound effect as the one that I remember from my childhood just gives me a little 
little frisson, a little dance of joy. And it's funny because I, I wasn't a particularly happy child. Doctor Who was... Um, it was my refuge. Um, so the fact that I'm now nostalgic for my childhood, I think it's because I realise I should have enjoyed myself a lot more <laughs> than I did. Because if you think childhood's hard, huh, wait till you become an adult. And I, and I, and I, yeah, I sort of look back and wish I'd enjoyed myself a little bit more and worried a little bit less. Um, Uh, but nostalgia is is a really powerful tool. Oh, I wish we could see this. Why why have we got episode two and we haven't got any of the others? What happened to the other episodes that were with that were with episode two? Go on, please be somewhere. I remember when episode two came back because, as I say, it was it was what for me it was one of the ones that came back. It was a completely missing story. Um, and there'd been, I mean, I, I wasn't part of fandom, but um, there were episodes that sort of seemed more likely to turn up, but evil just seemed, you know, completely out of question because there weren't any others. There seemed no rhyme. So the, so when Evil 2, it was Evil 2 and Faceless Ones 3 came back at the same time. Uh, and I saw it for the first time at a, at a convention. Uh, they put it on the big cinema in the afternoon and I w watched it and was absolutely amazed uh, by how good it was. Um, dizzy, dizzy Daleks. I love that. I love that. That's so peculiar. I mean, isn't it weird? It's, it's, and it's, it's so clever because, of course, the Dalek is played by every child in the playground and suddenly they've taken that that impact that they've had on popular culture uh, uh, and, and made the Daleks sort of imitate the children who play them I, I'm sure they weren't thinking as loftily as I'm sort of pretentiously throwing it in now but I do think that's that's a really interesting thing to do to, uh, oh and I like yeah the Daleks I grew up with didn't didn't scream when they died and didn't have pain. You know, they were much more staccato and, you know, they were straightforward and they came and they shot and they blew up. Uh, and, and they do actually sort of s scream with pain quite a lot, don't they, in the uh, in the 60s? Or, which we which I don't associate with them. It's a it's a relatively new thing for me, although, you know, I've been used to it for 20 odd years now. But uh it's 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 it still sort of almost surprises me when they do it. I love this. We've got tantalising glimpses of of Dalek goo, and of course the um, you know the suggestion of something organic is always a bit exciting with a Dalek because we think of them as you know machine creatures. We know there's something inside, but when we get a glimpse, and it's good enough for a cliffhanger in the in the first story. But but yeah, the, just just a bit of goo, and it's something. Oh, do we feel like we've seen a bit of a Dalek? Um, and I and again I sort of think I sort of think we we benefit from only seeing glimpses. I always this our, our tendency now to want to see I think spoils the idea that we we, we, we for so long we didn't. Uh, I, 
I think picturing what's what what's there is much more exciting. Imagine the size of the mutant inside the Emperor. See, we've, so we've got all this beautiful cine film of this brilliant set and the Dalek battle. This, I mean, oh, to be a seven-year-old in 1967, watching the Daleks fighting each other. Uh, and, and you do not fight in here, all of that. This is, this is amazing. Oh, oh, and of course, what Edward Waterfield does is he saves the Doctor. Oh, doesn't he say something like a good, a good life to save? Actually, on the evidence of the Doctor, this episode, this story. <laughs> but you were always, I think, gonna, gonna, gonna get killed. I think Edward Waterfield, good life to save. Oh, it is a lovely performance from. From John Bailey, good actor. Uh, also turns up later as Sezom in the Horns of Naimon. Uh, and I remember, because I'd remembered that character from the, I remember reading the cast list for the Horns of Naimon and realizing that I'd seen uh, an actor from Evil of the Daleks in action. Uh, in a Doctor Who that I'd watched because I remember the Horns of Nine first time around. That seemed terribly exciting. I worry about the Louis Marx Daleks. And isn't it Because we don't see the Daleks for another five years after this. Isn't that extraordinary? So if you were eight when this was on, you didn't see the Daleks again till you were 12. That's a lifetime. The idea now that there'd be five years between Dalek appearances. Uh, uh, and actually, I think, and because that, because I, I remember when Remembrance was, and because I saw Destiny, then you didn't see them again till Resurrection. Uh, and then I remember when Remembrance came on; it seemed like they hadn't been there for ages. Because of course, time moves at a different speed when you're a teenager. But it, it seemed like a real event. Oh, this is amazing! That and that Emperor Dalek explosion is amazing. I mean, it's a kapow! It's a kablam! Um, yeah, now, of course, the one that blows up is a different prop to the main one, so that could explain the two different sets of wires, which could mean that it wasn't in studio. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying it's it's not cut and dried, and it is debatable, and it is interesting. And the debate might well have been solved, but it hasn't in my head. Uh, oh, yes, Yes, this this is a horrible bit. Um, it's, it's kill, 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 kill. So that's the Dalek in Maxtable's head, is it? It's not quite clear what's going on here. And and in the Doctor Who archives of this, I'm sure Maxtable and Kemmel both went over the cliff. I thought that's how Maxtable died, that that him and Kemmel uh, both went off the cliff together, but actually. He doesn't. He goes back to the city. And I'm not sure we see Maxtable die, which is really interesting. We hear him. He has a bit of a rant later on and goes back into the city. But unless he gets killed by a Dalek or you see him walk down a corridor that then blows up, uh, it's again, it's not entirely clear. Uh, I've not seen the script. That's an amazing explosion. There's a lot of pyrotechnics there. Um... 
and yeah, but and and you, and I th- and I think nowadays where the Daleks, you know, sometimes are guests in another story, or they'll 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 crop up to be a peripheral part of the story. Um, I, I I think takes away from them a little bit. Uh, it, it takes away from their headline grabbing that they're that they unless they wheeled out for a special occasion. Th- that, so. Now it's possible that something there happens to Maxtable after he's delivered a, a line. Rule forever! Now does something fall on him? Does a Dalek kill him? I don't know because it cuts away to the to the city blowing up and stuff pretty straight after his line. So I, it's not clear what happens to Maxtable. Perhaps he's still there uh, <laughs> to fight another day. But this is such a sort of epic. And I'm not disparaging the, the the modern Who, which I I love. I just I think some the Daleks, if they become part of the furniture, you don't get that frisson of it's a oh it's a Dalek story, you know. I actually think like the Emperor Dalek only really being in this episode in the end of episode six that if things are rationed, it becomes a bit more special. And and the Daleks were were, were a big deal when I was a kid, and in, they're only in the Tom Baker era twice. For goodness sake. I mean, this this sounds amazing. And again, I trust Derek Martinez to have done a done a decent job. But and of course, there's a I mean it ends on all of this sort of battle uh, and but there's supposed to just be a glimmer, isn't there, of uh, of the light within the Emperor because Sidney Newman had said uh, d- you know, make it give us give us hope just in case. Uh, Ken Tilson I'd forgotten he was a Dalek he's a, he's a censorite and I think a gubbage cone uh, he's never talked of much as a, as a, as a Dalek operator uh, he's another one that got away I kept meaning to write to him because we didn't get him for the for the censorites commentary because he lived too far away so I thought oh I'll write to him so I can complete all the censorites people and uh, then he died sadly um, Dalek fight directed by timothy coombe so that's nice that he gets that credit Uh, and he's a good director too so uh, again i i do worry about the louis marx daleks and yeah louis Louis marx wrote day of the daleks so that's quite isn't it odd that two people with the well people you know the the name is associated in two different ways with uh with uh with the daleks uh so uh, my favourite thing about Evil of the Daleks, episode 7, is the Dalek Civil War. It looks amazing. That model shot of the Dalek blowing up and going into the sky as well. It looks from those tantalising behind-the-scenes clips, which, you know, don't tell us what we would have seen. It could have been filmed really badly, but I don't think so. Uh, I do worry slightly about the Louis Marx Daleks, because they're a different shape. Um, but it sounds amazing, uh, and and that explosion of the emperor and all of it. and the emperor is so good. Yeah, please, Dalek Civil War. Uh, that's that's my thing. What Simon Gerrier's episode seven thing? My best thing in episode seven is the scale of the final end. Brilliantly, designer Chris Thompson built a model and a full set of Scaros so that there were lots of ways to really go to town on the battle. 
They had days of filming at Ealing, and then, having already done that, they went back and did some more uh, with a second unit uh, directed by uh, uh, Timothy Coombe. We know there were Daleks exploding and bits of blobby creatures inside. We know they had extra time to edit this epic together. together. I mean, we know so much about this big battle at the end. Uh, it's so tantalising and yet gone. Gosh, how does anyone sleep at night knowing that? And then you want a bonus thing. Oh, <laughs> I've forgotten. I want a bonus thing. I want my own rule. I've got my own rules. And oh... How does anyone sleep? Well, I'm not sleeping. It's three o'clock in the morning. I'm not sleeping. I do miss. He's right about that battle. And yeah, they did. I forget. They did go back. So there's so much there. Oh, I miss that with every fibre of my being. Isn't that terrible? Uh, why chuck away such a, a story that was good enough to repeat? Anyway, so look, um, I got the same as Simon then. I did last week. I did for episode five. I didn't for episode one. I didn't for episode two. I did for episode three. I didn't for episode four. So it's four three to me at the moment. I I I, I don't I don't know what that means, but I'm certainly doing better than I think I have so far in this process. Uh, and better than I expected to do. So now I'm 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 slightly nervous because I've got, I've got. Do I choose one more thing, or is it that he chooses something and if it ties in with my and if it's the same as one of my other ones? I don't know. I don't know. It's four three to me, and he's gonna choose one more thing. So I'll choose one more thing, and if I choose the same as him, I get a point. And if he chooses the same, if he chooses something I don't choose. He gets a point and it becomes a rather disappointing tie. I've never, I've never, I don't think I've ever won or come close to because, you know, the chance of choosing the same thing. Simon's a writer. But I feel, I feel bad because I haven't chosen um, John Bailey's performance as Edward Waterfield, which I think has a, has a sort of cracked dignity about it. Uh, and uh, and really lends, you know, our 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 sort of paternalistic um, view of uh, the paternalism that we feel towards Victoria because she's an orphan, but she's not just an orphan; she's an orphan of a of a of a really sad man. <laughs> um, and because it's three o'clock in the morning, and I'd love to think of something clever. Um, no, all right. John Bailey as Edward Waterfield because I think he's great. I bet Simon hasn't chosen that. I bet I've just I've just been standing in the open goal to seal victory at, at the last minute before the final whistle and I've skied it. So my bonus thing about the Evelyn Daleks is something pointed out by clever Alan Barnes in Dot Magazine. As we know, the production team originally asked Pauline Collins to be their new companion while they were recording the previous story, The Faceless Ones. So, Alan asked, where would her character, Samantha Briggs, have fitted into this story, given it was made very soon after that decision? Well, I think Alan's right that Sam would largely have taken the part played by Molly in the story. 
But it's fun to listen to the story of the, the evil of the Daleks now and imagine Sam in that role and then helping rescue Victoria. And that's the image I'd like to leave you with, Toby. Sam Briggs on Scaro in that hat, giving the Emperor what for. Good night. So, so yeah, so, okay, it's what... <laughs> it's... It's what could have happened. I, I, I like that. I mean, we could, we could, we could play that game with anything. What, what could have happened? Well, it, I mean, it, it could be that uh, that uh, uh, Theodore Maxwell was played by Laurence Olivier, or it could be that every time uh, a, a Dalek explodes in episode six, you win a million pounds. We've we all lived in a, if wishes were horses. Alan Barnes and Simon Guerrier, but um, so I wouldn't anyway. Anyway, I, yes. Um, it is nice to play with the. Well, Ben and Polly were supposed to be in episode two. Annika Wills and Michael Craze were contracted to, to episode two, but then, uh, in a in a Lloyd in a, the Destroyer Lloyd, who just when he doesn't when he doesn't like a companion, just gets rid of them as soon as possible, halfway through a story, if you like, uh, because uh, they disappear in the faceless ones. I mean, they don't even get. To, to 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 take part in the bulk of that story, but yeah, they were supposed to be there in, and, and I think in early storylinings they were there uh, until episode. They left in episode two. And you go, oh, that's unimaginable. They essentially leave in episode two of the faceless ones, and then just come back for a bit of film. Um, but I'm sure I'll talk about that when somebody nominates the faceless ones, which hasn't happened yet. That was my first missing story for this. I think we made a good fist of it. I certainly love it. I certainly miss it. I would certainly, I haven't got any money, but I would pay good money. I would, what would I do? I would do some form of incantation. I'd do some deal with, I'm not going to attempt for, I was just about to say, I would do a deal with the devil to get it back because I'd suddenly got really spooked by saying that. And I would worry that if it then turned up next week, somehow my soul would have, would have gone down below. So uh, anything supernatural and cabalistic and satanic aside i would uh i would go to a lot of effort uh in order to save those episodes from destruction or or rescue them from whatever cupboard they might be in in some uh, archival backwater uh yeah maybe one day we can do this again and the pictures will be moving. Oh, that's worth hoping for, isn't it? And on that note, perhaps then we can say for Evil of the Daleks, it's potentially not the final end. Thanks to my guest, Simon Guerrier, who typically was one of the first people on board with this podcast slash videocast because... He's just enthusiastic and very kind and helpful. And why wasn't I surprised, as I say, was when, when he was one of the first people to uh, send me a package. And what a package it is. Not a coincidence. He's chosen Evil of the Daleks because he has written an excellent book about it. It's one of the Black Archive books from Obverse Books. And he's gone into intense and, and certifiable detail uh, as is the style of those excellent books, which I can heartily recommend. From Obverse Books, The Black Archive, number 11 is Simon's Evil of the Daleks. 
Happy Times and Places was presented by me, Toby Haydock, and my special guest was Simon Guerrier. The music was by Dave Gates. Special thanks go to Chris Boyle, and the podcast artwork is by Dylan Patterson. Thanks to this episode's featured patrons, John Deere, Ian Key, Jenny at Blue Box 99, Richard Byatt, Paul Carrington, James Gould, Joe Llewellyn, Nathan Moore, Nick Temple, Apollo C. Vermouth, Peter Adamson, Peter Crocker, and Sidney Wilson. story I shall be looking at takes us to a planet where the tea has gone cold, the planet Dido. So you definitely won't be wondering why when Happy Times and Places comes to the rescue. Please go to www.tobyhadoke.com for more. And don't forget to rate, thumbs up, and generally be nice about this podcast everywhere you possibly can. It's easy for you, and it helps me, and I'll be very grateful. You can support these podcasts and any other of my broadcasting endeavours at patreon.com forward slash tobyhadoke and ko-fi.com forward slash tobyhadoke. Patrons get special goodies and advanced releases and, of course, my eternal gratitude. Don't forget to subscribe to the official Toby Haydoke YouTube channel.